Hello and welcome back to Commodity Conversations by the team at Mikado, the podcast where we keep you up to date with the latest trends, drivers and moves in livestock, grain and oilseed and fibre markets. My name is Olivia Agar. Thanks for listening into episode 254. Regular listeners will be very familiar with David Cornish, Director of the Centre of Professional Development at Marcus Oldham Ag College. He's a regular guest on Commodity Conversation when we want to talk about the big trends affecting agriculture and our markets. He is also the host of their own podcast, Ag Talk. In today's episode, they have been nice enough to share with us. It's actually the first episode of season four of Ag Talk, which our very own Robert Herman featured on. So today we're bringing you part one of this conversation on the cattle and sheep market, covering what's led the market to where it is today, if macro factors are impacting demand for our red meat and what is determining the outlook. Then in part two, we'll be covering grains and wool. This episode was recorded in September, so keep that in mind while you're listening, but it holds very well. Before we get into the episode, as always, here are a few key movements from markets this week. Actually, I'm not going to start out with the moves from this week, but more what we're expecting next week. The rainfall forecast for the east and north is looking very promising. 50 to 100 mils in parts of Queensland and up to 50 mil in parts of New South Wales. For those still in the midst of harvest, it'll be a bit of a bump in the road. But for livestock, rain isn't going to turn into grass overnight. But in a market that's completely lacking confidence, it might be just what's needed. This week's wool market saw strong demand from China and a reduced offering, which resulted in prices for most fine and mid MPGs, either steady or high compared to last week. Crossbred wool didn't see the same bump this week. September is generally the seasonal low in crossbred supply as a proportion of the total wool clip, which really spurred on the most recent rally. But moving into summer, supply will be the dampener on crossbred prices. That's it from me today. Here's David Cornish and Robert Herman. It's my pleasure to welcome today uh, Robert Herman, who is the founding director of Mercado. And uh, what I like to do is get Robert back here on uh, the podcast to give us an update of where prices and commodities and a general chat about where agriculture is going. Now, Robert, I should uh, let you know that this is the inaugural podcast under our new title, which is the Centre for Professional Development. So um, I thought, who else best to start off with for an educational perspective than you, mate? So welcome. Or you could. Thanks very much, Dave. Thanks for the welcome. Thanks for the invitation. I thought you were going to say you'd get someone on who needs some professional development. (laughs) No, mate, you're giving it, which is fantastic. Um, So let's, I think with this stuff, what what I'd like to do to start off with, let's take a step back and look at the, the broader picture. Uh, agriculture, I think, probably since even the last time that we spoke in Australia, uh, has changed significantly. And and you know, to me, to paint the scene is that I think we went through two, if not three, years of some of the best years I've certainly ever had in my life. Um, and from an agricultural perspective, and obviously things have changed. Now, I imagine that there are macro factors that are affecting that, uh, but it just surprised me how quickly things moved um what from your perspective are you seeing are sort of like the big factors that are affecting agriculture in australia today well i think uh, if we're talking about the big move that we've seen up to this date has been in price and so if we talk about the factors around price um, we can pretty much explain why we saw uh, the really escalated prices that we saw and um 
I was talking to Jason Strong from MLA and he said not only were our cattle prices best ever, they were better than we would have, we could have imagined if you think back honestly back to, you know, in the drought. So we came out of a drought and um, we had a herd rebuild. We had tremendous demand from around the globe. Um, Our currency was attractive. Uh, that that wasn't a negative, that's for sure, and uh, and we had some other issues, things like African swine fever, and and they and, and thinking about our current situation, David, I thought back to that time, and we had always little, perhaps not little things, but always issues that added up and had a multiplier effect on driving our prices to those those levels we saw, not only for for beef, but for for sheep, for mutton, and for lamb. And then, then you look at it and you think, well, one, one of the things we know from being around a while is that once you have markets very good, um, <laughs> the next step is that they, they come back. And, and you're right. And you would, no one anticipated how sharply or how quickly they'll come back. But again, we've probably got to have a look at the micro or the factors, not the micro factors, the factors that are actually contributing to it and they're multiples. And they, and when you multiply them together, you get this, you know, this dramatic uh, market situation we've seen right now. So, well, let's start breaking those down. I mean, there's, there's obvious ones that I'm thinking about is from a perspective of, uh, I don't know, and this is probably positive, Ukraine war, but obviously there are macro factors within the world for, I don't know, whether it's economic growth or things like that, which are, are they actually reducing the demand for, for instance, uh, lamb overseas or beef overseas? Because I've seen some reports that would suggest that some of our export levels are, are pretty high still. They are. The, the export numbers are, are extraordinary. Uh, and, and partly that's because we, we rebuilt after the drought, so we have that extra production to um, process. But if you look at the, the prices of meat around the world, and uh, I was fortunate enough to be in the US in July. Um, we visited uh, Billings sale, sale Barn. And, you know, when you see 360 kilogram steers go through feeder steers and making 1700 to $1,900 US, and the locals are saying that we don't have any problem. So, we, so we're different here now. But it's not the first time we've been different, David, because I, I think it was about two and a half years ago we pointed out that we had the dearest meat in the world. Yes. And when we started to break those factors down, it was because we were rebuilding out of a drought. And there's one, there's a very basic comparison, if you like, that we use regularly, and that is measuring the Eastern Young Cattle Indicator, which is not a perfect indicator, but it's a good general indicator of young cattle prices in the market. And we measure that against the 90 CL price. And about 18 months ago, the 90 CL price was 200 cents below the Eastern Young Cattle Indicator. And so what that tells us is that there's other factors other than the meat price driving the cattle price. And that was our restocking and our yep. you know tight supply coming out of a drought. If you move forward to where we are now, and we've flipped that, now the 90 CL is 200 cents um, above the um, the Eastern Young Cattle Indicator, and you know we, we'll talk about you know some of the positive things in in the future, uh, you know in down the track with our conversation today. But yep. we all know how much the Eastern Young Cattle Indicator has fallen back this year on year. It's back fifty seven percent. Yeah, but the ninety CL 
is up 14%. So you, you, it tells us that it's not the price of meat in our export markets that's the big driver of our weaker prices. There are other factors. And, that, and that's good because it would be worse if it was if there was no demand for our product. As you say, so what we're saying there is there is demand for our product overseas. Yeah, and uh, I, I wrote down some notes before we came here. Uh, the cattle exports, we just hit 100,000 tonnes. It's the highest since December 2019. And remember, in 2019, we were still slaughtering madly in the drought. Yep. The US uh, has now has 25% of the share. It's uh, August was plus 42% year on year. Now, I've been pulled up on this in recent times, Dave, and saying people say, well, <laughs> what are you saying that for? Because the prices are terrible. Mm. Um, we know where the prices are, but I think we need to understand what's ahead. If we're going to understand what's ahead, then we need to understand what's happening in our markets. And it's it's not the same as what we're seeing in our sale yards or over our hooks at the moment. So, so let's let's just break down that disconnect a little bit. So, if we look, if we start first of all, we start from the export demand. The export not, demand is good, and the CL prices, as you said, is up from what it was last year. Correct. Yes. Yep. Yes. Okay. So then, you talked about restocker demand, which drove demand for uh, demand drove prices. If we go back eighteen months, um, obviously what we could conclude then is that that demand has obviously um, collapsed. It, it's absolutely collapsed. And it's not just collapsed because the season's changed. It's collapsed also because, you know, as we're seeing this around the countryside, is people don't have the confidence to um, to go in and, and, and rebuild more. And, in fact, we're now seeing, especially with some of our um, surplus sheep, our mutton, we're seeing people start to destock, um, yep. you know, ahead of the season, ahead of the risks that are that we're facing with the season now. So it has been a complete turnaround. That, but what that tells us, it tells us that when our meat is the dearest meat in the world, it won't stay that way forever. Yes. Just crazy. And when it's the cheapest meat in the world, it won't stay that way forever either. So even though it's hard to focus on that big picture when you're trying just to find someone to buy your lambs or buy your, your surplus cows or whatever. And, and we don't, we don't uh, diminish in any way the challenges that are here and here and now that, and the, and the, you know, the difficulties people are facing. However, we also have to keep one eye on the future. And because if the future was as bad as what the present is or looked as bad, then we'd all have a different view on how we go forward in our farming activities. So if we were to sort of sum up the situation we've got now, we've probably got, would it be right to say we've got a, a current adjustment happening in the drivers of the price that we're receiving for our, our livestock, which is resulting in some overshoots or some changes, which really is a, a basically a sort of like until it finds a new equilibrium situation. Absolutely, and you could make the same argument that it overshot on the up as well, David. Yeah. Um, but markets always do that. Markets aren't aren't as smart as we'd like to think they are, or we'd like them to be. I think also we've got, um, if we're talking about sheep and lamb, we've also got the problem of the seasonality of supply, and we know that that ramps up through the spring and and into the summer and late summer, 
that's putting pressure on us as well. And and when you start to get reports of the season closing in in certain areas, um, it just it takes all the wind out of the market, all the wind out of the sails of the market. Yep. It also takes away the confidence of of people who might be a traders. You know, yep. you you would think. Well, in the last couple of years, it's been difficult being a trader because our, you know, our markets haven't performed uh, at higher levels later in the season than they did in the peak season. So it's hard if you're if you're a trader if you're buying stock whether it's calves or or um, or lambs and, and finishing them. But in this environment, uh, you're coming in at a completely new level, and and you know there's a strong argument to say this is the time when you go back in. But we know that people just haven't got the confidence right now and so they're holding back which again takes out some of the competition that the market needs yeah but if i go say so just if i just stay cut off for a second is because i think there's some things we need to to tease out in the in the in the sheep and mutton and lamb industry is that okay so the fundamentals are that our, our product is is demand and it's it's, it's reaching high levels okay but the reality is is that we've got a lower low price well is it a low price and that's the other question is is it because we're being used to decile 10 prices mm. uh you know what are we talking about now we're we talking about decile one prices decile two prices or decile five prices taking a long-term average uh well depends what you call a long term because you know the the lamb indicator um where are we this the state's lamb indicator is 460 well we used to look at you know 350 and think that wasn't a bad price yep the cattle indicator at 447 300 used to be a, yep. a good price yeah so so and i know and i know the cost structures have changed considerably yep, so it's, it's unfair just to look at the price and not thinking about that but the reality is is that's where the the region that our prices are in at the moment i i still think that i think they're a low price i think yep this is a low price in the context of if you look at it, um, you know, MLA would make a claim, rightly make the claim that I think red meat prices at retail level have doubled in the last, I don't know, 10 or 15 years. Yep. So that tells us that these prices are low because, you know, the, the producer, you know, should be the, should be the ultimate beneficiary of those, of that sort of market. That said, we know markets bounce around. So I think, I think the prices are low. Uh, I think it's a low price, yep. and and I think we will look at it in the future, look back on this, and say that was a low price. Well, I don't think we can we're going back to these prices as normal. I think, David, though, the compounding factor right now is twofold. On top of that price, on, on top of the yeah, on top of the price, I guess the compounding factor is the the risk of the season, yep. and and you know we we hear a lot about that, um, and it's also the the pressure that's on the on that narrow part of the production chain that is the processes, mm. the pressure of getting product through there. Because if you go back to, and we just use a simple, we won't even do the maths on this, David. If you look at it, I think I said 18 months ago, Eastern Young Cattle Indicator was 200 cents above the 90 CL. Now it's 200 cents below. Mm. It tells you that the margin for processing meat is a lot different to what it was 18 months ago. Yeah, And if that's the case, then the incentive, especially when you've got good supply as a processor, you know, you always want two things you want as a processor. You want um, you want a margin and you want supply. And at the moment, it, it'd be, I'd challenge anyone to say you haven't got both of those things. So therefore, 
the incentive would be to produce as many or process as many carcasses as you can. So if that's the case, what you're saying is that we've got a jammed up processing, we just don't have the capacity. Yeah, and I think I think what, if we look at, go back to my comment on the US cattle price, uh, I spoke to US lamb producers and they were saying, look, our lamb prices are pretty good. If if that's the case, then, and we're, a, we're an export business here, we're predominantly export, uh, if that's the case, then there's something else and it's something that's happening in Australia. And I think that tells us that we haven't fully um, calculated or haven't fully even understood how much influence that that processor uh, challenges, the challenges the processor's got are impacting on the market. And and they go back, I mean, if you go back, you know, COVID is, so it's an overhang from COVID. Mm. And we heard at the time that, you know, meat processors were losing people um, you lose them, they get other jobs. You know, we know there's plenty of jobs out there. Um, then you've got to retrain and um, it all takes time. And I think we, it was hard to estimate how big an impact that would have. But I think when you start to break the market down, as we have in our discussion today, David, yeah. you might be a, we might understand that it's had a bigger impact than we thought. Well, I, I know I've talked to some processors who, who would love to be able to run three, three sessions a day but uh, they can't get enough accommodation in the local town to support them there. So they're caught in the, in the traps of having a, a structure which can do three, and obviously from a cost perspective, they want to do three, but they can't get the accommodation to allow them to do that. So it's interesting, caught, David, that this yeah. week in WA, I think two of the big processes announced they were going to run a Saturday shift. Yeah. Now, mm. that, that just reinforces what you've just said. Mm. If you can get people and and accommodate them and train them, mm. then then the way to increase your productivity, or one way to increase your productivity is to get them to work more hours. Yeah, and again, going through what we've talked about now is, is that we know the demands there, as much, by the sounds of it, as much as we can put onto the, the world market as we can, processes will make a margin. It's not that they don't want to, it's just they don't have the logistics to be able to do that and therefore we get a glut caught there so they can basically the market is then well we can only do so much and there's all this supply coming out of the market which is driving down the prices in the in the in the yards would that be a fair exactly and look processes take a bit of stick over this but it's not i don't think it's warranted i think you know this is just the market we operate in and um you know the challenges for us, I mean, we're mainly talking to producers. You know, if you look yep. at the big cohort of people in the um, sheep and cattle industry in Australia, they're producers. Um, our challenge is, is to um, is to work within that framework. It's not a surprise. Yep. Um, we put up some uh, charts down at the Gippsland Red Meat Conference, and the percentage movement in in both the cattle and the lamb markets. This percentage movement down, which is in the vicinity of Young cattle are down 57%, national cows are down 40%, and lambs are down 40%, mutton down 70% year on year. It's happened, uh, we, we identified three occasions in the last five years where that percentage movement has happened. Mm. Now, remember, we're coming off a much higher base, so it feels like we've jumped off a cliff, but it's not unprecedented. Yep. And so, um, you know, without trying to downplay the challenge of being a farmer in this climate, 
we are very good at dealing with this because we've had experience at doing it. I want to come back to that point because I think there's a real psychological issue that, that I would like to explore with you later. But one thing I probably want to finish off with on the beef market is is herds. Uh, we talk about the US herd. Is it in rebuild or is it in liquidation mode or and the Australian herd? What are you seeing in that and how, what does that long-term reflection on where, where the beef market might go? Yeah, well, I think in terms of Australia, both we would be thinking right now, looking at, at numbers that are coming out, that both the herd and the flock are certainly not in expansion mode still. They, in, in some areas, they're in contraction. In general, they would be at best holding. Yeah. The US one is a really important one, and we think this story, David, is going to play a big role in what happens to our uh, market prices, both for beef and lamb, uh, in the next year or two. And that is that they've had they've had bad droughts and they've also had that normal cycle where they they, they cycle, the herd grows a bit and then they uh, retract, they constrict the herd and slaughter females. Um, we met with um, Art Buckle up at... Uh, up at Bliss, you'd love to go to Bliss, David. Bliss in uh, <laughs> Sounds Idaho. Great. great place to great place to have a cattle ranch, I can tell you. <laughs> um, but um, he made the point to me that, and he's on the uh, Angus Association of America. He said we're still delivering heifers into feedlots, and you start to think, well, why would you be doing that? You know, the the you know the herd is their herd is really contracted. Yep. But it's still in it's still in contraction phase, and one of the things we notice in the Australian when we were destocking is that once the season turns, once you get to the level of cattle or sheep that you're comfortable with, farmers keep selling, and the reason they keep selling is if prices are attractive, because then you start to say, oh, I don't like look at that heifer, she can go. I don't like that old mob of cows. I was I've hung on to them, no bugger it. I won't join them again. And you just get a little bit more of an overhang. And what it means is that the the sell-off is actually more than is warranted for the conditions. Yeah. And so then your recovery has to start from a lower base, and, and that's what drives prices. And so we're thinking that there'll be somewhere between 8 and 10% less um, beef produced or slaughtered in the US when the, the herd rebuild actually stops. And we're thinking it'll be in... At the, at the back half of this year, mm. uh, which will need to be filled by imports. So if I sort of summarise that bit to where we're up to at the moment is that, yes, there are some dynamics happening, especially affected by local factors which are resulting in the prices we've got now. But there's nothing on the global scene which would suggest that these are going to be exacerbated and there's, there's potentially some upside over in the, in, I use the term long term, but certainly probably in the next 12 months. Yeah, look, that's that's fair. Um, the fundamentals are, are fine. Yep. As we know, though, David, it's the um, it's the out-of-left-field, you know, black swan events that, mm. we, that you can't predict. Mm. Ukraine war is an example. Maybe a recession in China. Yep. Uh, these things, which we can't predict, um, would have a, a bad effect on our markets. But the fundamentals are that there are, there are more people in the world getting wealthier who are trying to add red meat to their diets yep. than uh, than the 
than the people we've got in Australia who are trying to take red meat out of our day, diets, Dave. And I know you probably know a few of them. <laughs> um, not really, but I've heard about them. <laughs> no, <laughs> not in my general circle of friends. I've got to be honest, Roy, but uh, good luck to them. So we, we focus on on beef. Let, let's move across. We've talked something about lamb but and sheep meats, but just let's give it uh, a bit of uh, love. Where are we at there? It doesn't look like we're any better off. Well, I, I, no, we're not. And I think my view is, David, that the lamb and sheep recovery will be will come after the cattle recovery. Yeah. And and I'm because I think one of the big drivers of cattle, as we just said, will be the US herd. Um, what we have to do in Australia though is we now have to deal with a big crop of lambs and and even surplus sheep coming off. So our supply is going to be elevated. You know, we had, uh, uh, I wrote this down here, but we had the highest monthly volume on record um, last month, exports up 14% month on month of lamb and sheep. That, And we're not even in the peak supply of lamb yeah. yet, David. So I think we've got, it's got more pressures on it. Um, longer term, Longer term, I think it's it's in really good shape. I think the more pressure's in the short term to recover, mainly on the back of supply and the ability to get it through the system. Um, but you would probably know this, but you know, in New Zealand, they've really their, their flock has really collapsed, um, going to other enterprises, and um, you know, they're our main competitor in the quality market in the world. So that's why I'm saying I think we've done a good job in promoting and marketing lamb. Uh, and positioning it as a premium product in in emerging markets, um, but it's going to take some time before we chew through the supply that we've got right at the moment, and we get our capacity at the meatworks up to deal with that, with the new the new level of the flock after drought. I suppose one of the things is is the um, can't shouldn't use the word background or a finisher, but certainly the market within the lamb industry for taking those under I suppose underweight. Uh, lambs and finishing them off that that seems to am i right in saying that's almost collapsed so that, that yes it people has have got the burnt and just and, not going and in there? yes it has and i mean there's a, f- a couple of factors i mean grain's not cheap uh, i noticed that you know asw grains 11 percent dearer in geelong than it was this time last year um barley's about the same uh but there are areas that could certainly be taking on lambs to um to take them on to finish, but there's just a lack of confidence. And and so my message would be this is the time when you go back to your fundamentals and do your sums. You know, what I would – and we had this discussion uh, at the Mercado meeting this week where, you know, we have to – if we're forecasting prices for next year, I think it's not unreasonable to say that, that, we, that if we base them on today's prices – it will be a worst case scenario because we've already it already seems like we've copped a bigger a bigger hiding in the markets than the markets deserved. Yeah. Which and we just said that right at the start, you know, looks like it's over over prep. Yep. So therefore do your figures on you know on, on these sort of price levels down the track. And if you start doing that and buying it at these levels, then um, you know, it, there's some good trades out there. 